Welcome to Flourish. I'm Diane Blanadan, and you're in the right place if you're ready to create an inspired life. And we do so by working on our own personal development so we can be strong role models for those we love and mentor and our own mental well-being. Well, this journey through this Psych 100 course has been quite, quite eye-opening. And uh, we're still in week 11 all about psychopathy. So let's get started. I got my hair up. I got my notebook out. I got tabs, I got highlighters, I've got it all going on here, but uh, <laughs> as you can probably see if you're watching this on YouTube, it's uh, the hairdo's uh, lacking these days because <laughs> I'm just so intensely into this course and I really want to do well, so let's not waste another minute. Here we go. Chapter 60, Therapeutic Orientations. This is an open access uh, book, by the way, so it is readily available for your reading pleasure. In the past century, a number of uh, psychotherapeutic orientations have gained popularity for treating mental illnesses. This module outlines some of the best-known therapeutic approaches and explains the history, techniques, advantages, and disadvantages associated with each. The most effective modern approach is cognitive behavioral therapy. We also discuss psychoanalytic therapy, person-centered therapy, and mindfulness-based approaches. Drug therapy and emerging new treatment strategies will also be briefly explored. A learning objective to keep in the back of your mind is to become familiar with the most widely practiced approaches to psychotherapy. For therapeutic approach, consider history goals, key techniques, and empirical support, and consider the impact of emerging treatment strategies in mental health. As mentioned before, I am a student, not a teacher, and I am simply sharing my learning journey with you. Introduction. The history of mental illness can be traced as far back as 1500 BC, when the ancient Egyptians noted cases of distorted concentration and emotional distress in the heart or mind. Today, nearly half of all Americans will experience mental illness at some point in their lives, and mental health problems affect more than one quarter of the population in any given year. Fortunately, a range of psychotherapies exist to treat mental illnesses. This module provides an overview of some of the best-known schools of thought in psychotherapy. Currently, the most effective approach is called cognitive behavioral therapy. However, other approaches such as a psychoanalytic therapy, person-centered therapy, and mindfulness-based therapies are also used. Though the effectiveness of these treatments aren't as clear as they are for CBT, that's the cognitive behavioral therapy. Throughout this module, note the advantages and disadvantages of each approach, paying special attention to the support by empirical research. CBT, it says here, is an approach to treating mental illness that involves work with a therapist as well as homework assignments between sessions. It has proven to be very effective for virtually all psychiatric illnesses. There's some good news for you. Let's go continue. Psychoanalysis and psychodynamic therapy. The earliest organized therapy for mental disorders was psychoanalysis, made famous in the early 20th century by one of the best known clinicians of all time, Sigmund Freud. 
This approach stresses that mental health problems are rooted in unconscious conflicts and desires. In order to resolve the mental illness, then these unconscious struggles must be identified and addressed. Psychoanalysis often does this through exploring one's early childhood experiences that may have continuing repercussions on one's mental health in the present and later in life. Psychoanalysis is an intensive long-term approach in which patients and therapists may meet multiple times per week, often for many years. History of Psychoanalytic Therapy Freud initially suggested that mental health problems arise from efforts to push inappropriate sexual urges out of conscious awareness. Later, Freud suggested more generally that psychiatric problems are the result of tension between different parts of the mind, the id, the superego, and the ego. In Freud's structural model, the id represents pleasure-driven unconscious urges, Example are animalistic desires for sex and aggression, while the ego is a semi-conscious part of the mind where morals and social judgments are internalized, the part of you that automatically knows how society expects you to behave. The ego, also partly conscious, uh, mediates between the id and superego. Freud believed that bringing unconscious struggles like these, where the id demands one thing and the superego another, into conscious awareness would relieve the stress of conflict, which became the goal of psychoanalytic therapy. Although psychoanalysis is still practiced today, it has largely been replaced by the more broadly defined psychodynamic therapy. This latter approach has the same basic tenets as a psychoanalysis, but is briefer. It makes more of an effort to put clients in their social and interpersonal context and focuses more on relieving psychological distress than on changing the person. Techniques in Psychoanalysis Psychoanalysis and psychodynamic therapists employ several techniques to explore patients' unconscious minds. One common technique is called a free association. Here, the patient shares any and all thoughts that come to mind without attempting to organize or censor them in any way. For example, if you took a pen and paper and just wrote down whatever came into your head, letting one thought lead to the next without allowing conscious criticism to shape what you were writing, you would be doing free association. The analyst then uses their expertise to discern patterns or underlying meanings of the patient's thoughts. Sometimes free association exercises are applied specifically to childhood recollections. That is, psychoanalysts believe a person's childhood relationships with caregivers often determine the way that person relates to others and predicts later psychiatric difficulties. Thus, exploring these childhood memories through free association or otherwise can provide therapists with insights into a patient's psychological makeup. Because we don't always have the ability to consciously recall these deep memories, psychoanalysts also discuss their patient's dreams. In Freudian theory, dreams contain not only manifests or literal content, but also latent or symbolic content. For example, someone may have a dream that their teeth are falling out, the manifest or actual content of the dream. 
However, dreaming that one's teeth are falling out could be a reflection of the person's unconscious concern about losing their physical attractiveness. The latent or metaphorical content of the dream. It is the therapist's job to help discover the latent content underlying one's manifest content through dream analysis. In psychoanalytic and psychodynamic therapy, the therapist plays a receptive role, interpreting the patient's thoughts and behaviors based on clinical experience and psychoanalytic theory. For example, if during therapy a patient begins to express unjustified anger towards a therapist, the therapist may recognize this as an act of transference. That is, the patient may be displacing feelings for people in their life, for example, anger toward a parent, onto the therapist. At the same time, though, the therapist has to be aware of their own thoughts and emotions, for in a related process called countertransference, the therapist may displace their own emotions onto the patient. The key to psychoanalytic theory is to have patients uncover the varied, conflicting content of the mind, and therapists use various tactics, such as seating patients to face away from them, to promote a freer self-disclosure. And as a therapist spends more time with the patient, the therapist can come to view their relationship with the patient as another reflection of the patient's mind. Advantages and Disadvantages of Psychoanalytic Therapy Psychoanalysis was once the only type of psychotherapy available, but presently the number of therapists practicing this approach is decreasing around the world. Psychoanalysis is not appropriate for some types of patients, including those with severe psychopathology or intellectual disability. Further, psychoanalysis is often expensive because treatment usually lasts many years. Still, some patients and therapists find the prolonged and detailed analysis very rewarding. Perhaps the greatest disadvantage of psychoanalysis and related approaches is the lack of empirical support for their effectiveness. The limited research that has been conducted on these treatments suggests that they do not reliably lead to better mental health outcomes. And although there are some reviews that seem to indicate that long-term psychodynamic therapies might be beneficial, other researchers have questioned the validity of these reviews. Nevertheless, psychoanalytic theory was history's first attempt at formal treatment of mental illness, setting the stage for the more modern approaches used today. Humanistic and person-centered therapy. One of the next developments in therapy for mental illness, which arrived in the mid-20th century, is called humanistic or person-centered therapy. Here, the belief is that mental health problems result from an inconsistency between patients' behavior and their true personal identity. Thus, the goal of PCT is to create conditions under which patients can discover their self-worth, feel comfortable exploring their own identity, and alter their behavior to better reflect this identity. History of Person-Centered Therapy PCT was developed by a psychologist named Carl Rogers during a time of significant growth in the movements of humanistic theory and human potential. These perspectives were based on the idea that humans have an inherent drive to realize and express their own capabilities and creativity. Rogers, in particular, believed that all people have the potential to change and improve, and that the role of therapists is to foster self-understanding in an environment where adaptive change is most likely to occur. 
Rogers suggested that the therapist and patient must engage in a genuine egalitarian relationship in which the therapist is non-judgmental and empathetic. In PCT, the patient should experience both a vulnerability to anxiety, which motivates the desire to change, and an appreciation for the therapist's support. Techniques in Person-Centered Therapy Humanistic and person-centered therapy, like a psychoanalysis, involves a largely unstructured conversation between the therapist and the patient. Unlike a psychoanalysis, though, a therapist using PCT takes a passive role, guiding the patient towards their own self-discovery. Roger's original name for PCT was non-directive therapy, and this notion is reflected in the flexibility found in PCT. Therapists do not try to change patients' thoughts or behaviors directly. Rather, their role is to provide the therapeutic relationship as a platform for personal growth. In these kinds of sessions, the therapist tends only to ask questions and doesn't provide any judgments or interpretation of what the patients say. Instead, the therapist is present to provide a safe and encouraging environment for the person to explore these issues for themselves. An important aspect of the PCT relationship is the therapist's unconditional positive regard for the patient's feelings and behaviors. That is, the therapist is never to condemn or criticize the patient for what she or he has done or thought. The therapist is only to express warmth and empathy. This creates an environment free of approval or disapproval where patients come to appreciate their value and to behave in ways that are congruent with their own identity. Advantages and disadvantages of person-centered therapy. One key advantage of person-centered therapy is that it is highly acceptable to patients. In other words, people tend to find the supportive, flexible environment of this approach very rewarding. Furthermore, some of the themes of PCT translate well to other therapeutic approaches. For example, most therapists of any orientation find that clients respond well to being treated with non-judgmental empathy. The main disadvantage to PCT, however, is that findings about its effectiveness are mixed. One possibility for this could be that the treatment is primarily based on unspecific treatment factors. That is, rather than using therapeutic techniques that are specific to the patient and the mental problem, i.e. specific treatment factors, the therapy focuses on techniques that can be applied to anyone. Similar to how one size fits all, it doesn't really fit every person. PCT uses the same practices for everyone, which may work for some people, but not others. Further research is necessary to evaluate its utility as a therapeutic approach. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy Although both psychoanalysis and PCT are still used today, another therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, has gained more widespread support and practice. CBT refers to a family of therapeutic approaches whose goal is to alleviate psychological symptoms by changing their underlying cognitions and behaviors. The premise of CBT is that thoughts, behaviors, and emotions interact and contribute to various mental disorders. For example, let's consider how a CBT therapist would view a patient who compulsively washes their hands for hours every day. First, a therapist would identify the patient's maladaptive thought. If I don't wash my hands like this, I will get a disease and die. 
The therapist then identifies how this maladaptive thought leads to a maladaptive emotion, the feeling of anxiety when their hands aren't being washed. And finally, this maladaptive emotion leads to the maladaptive behavior, the patient washing their hands for hours every day. CBT is a present-focused therapy, i.e. focused on the now rather than causes from the past, such as childhood relationships. It uses behavioral goals to improve one's mental illness. Often, these behavioral goals involve between-session homework assignments. For example, the therapist may give the hand-washing patient a worksheet to take home. On this worksheet, the patient is to write down every time they feel the urge to wash their hands, how they deal with the urge, and what behavior they replace that urge with. When the patient has their next therapy session, the patient and the therapist review the patient's homework together. CBT is a relatively brief intervention of 12 to 16 weekly sessions, closely tailored to the nature of psychopathology and treatment of the specific mental disorder. And, as the empirical data shows, CBT has proven to be highly efficacious for virtually all psychiatric illnesses. They have a nice diagram here. It's, it's kind of in a triangle, but there are three circles. Thoughts create feelings, moves to feelings create behaviors, moves to behaviors reinforce thoughts, and then that moves up to thoughts create feelings. So it's a pattern of thoughts, feelings, behaviors, adjust through cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes. History of cognitive behavioral therapy. CBT developed from clinical work conducted in the mid 20th century by Dr. Aaron Beck, a psychiatrist, and Albert Ellis, a psychologist. Beck used the term automatic thoughts to refer to the thoughts depressed patients report experiencing spontaneously. He observed that these thoughts arise from three belief systems or schemas beliefs about the self, beliefs about the world, and beliefs about the future. In treatment, therapy initially focuses on identifying automatic thoughts. For example, if I don't wash my hands constantly, I'll get a disease. Testing their validity and replacing maladaptive thoughts with more adaptive thoughts. For example, washing my hands three times a day is sufficient to prevent a disease. In later stages of treatment, the patient's maladaptive schemas are examined and modified. Ellis, in 1957, took a comparable approach in what he called Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy, REBT, which also encourages patients to evaluate their own thoughts about situations. Techniques in CBT Beck and Ellis strove to help patients identify maladaptive appraisals or the untrue judgments and evaluations of certain thoughts. For example, if it's your first time meeting new people, you may have the automatic thought, these people won't like me because I have nothing interesting to share. That thought itself is not what's troublesome. The appraisal or evaluation that it might have merit is what's troublesome. The goal of CBT is to help people make adaptive instead of maladaptive appraisals. For example, I do know interesting things. This technique of reappraisal or cognitive restructuring is a fundamental aspect of CBT. With cognitive restructuring, it is a therapist's job to help point out when a person has an inaccurate or maladaptive thought, 
so that the patient can either eliminate it or modify it to be more adaptive. In addition to thoughts, though, another important treatment target of CBT is maladaptive behavior. Every time a person engages in maladaptive behavior, for example, never speaking to someone in new situations, he or she reinforces the validity of the maladaptive thought, thus maintaining or perpetuating the psychological illness. In treatment, the therapist and patient work together to develop healthy behavioral habits, often tracked with worksheet-like homework, so that the patient can break this cycle of maladaptive thoughts and behaviors. For many mental health problems, especially anxiety disorders, CBT incorporates what is known as exposure therapy. During exposure therapy, a patient confronts a problematic situation and fully engages in the experience instead of avoiding it. For example, imagine a person who is terrified of spiders. Whenever they encounter one, they immediately scream and panic. In exposure therapy, the patient would be forced to confront and interact with spiders rather than simply avoiding them as they usually do. The goal is to reduce the fear associated with the situation through extinction learning, a neurobiological and cognitive process by which the patient unlearns the irrational fear. For example, exposure therapy for someone terrified of spiders might begin with them looking at a cartoon of a spider followed by looking at pictures of real spiders, and later the patient handling a plastic spider. After weeks of this incremental exposure, the patient may even be able to hold a live spider. After repeated exposure, starting small and building one's way up, the patient experiences less physiological fear and maladaptive thoughts about spiders, breaking their tendency for anxiety and subsequent avoidance. Advantages and Disadvantages of CBT CBT interventions tend to be relatively brief, making them cost-effective for the average consumer. In addition, CBT is an intuitive treatment that makes logical sense to patients. It can also be adapted to suit the needs of many different populations. One disadvantage, however, is that CBT does involve significant effort on the patient's part because the patient is an active participant in treatment. Therapists often assign a homework between sessions to maintain the cognitive and behavioral habits the patient is working on. The greatest strength of CBT is the abundance of empirical support for its effectiveness. Studies have consistently found CBT to be equally or more effective than other forms of treatment including medication and other therapies. For this reason, CBT is considered a first-line treatment for many mental disorders. Focus topic, pioneers of CBT. The central notion of CBT is the idea that a person's behavioral and emotional responses are causally influenced by one's thinking. The Stoic Greek philosopher Epistitus is quoted as saying, men are not moved by things, but by the view they take of them, meaning it is not the event per se, but rather one's assumptions, including interpretations and perceptions of the event that are responsible for one's emotional response to it. Beck calls these assumptions about events and situations automatic thoughts, whereas Ellis refers to these assumptions as self-statements. 
The cognitive model assumes that these cognitive processes cause the emotional and behavioral responses to events or stimuli. This causal chain is illustrated in Ellis's ABC model, in which A stands for antecedent event, B stands for belief, and C for consequence. During CBT, the person is encouraged to carefully observe the sequence of events and the responses to them, and then explore the validity of the underlying beliefs through behavioral experiments and reasoning, much like a detective or scientist. Acceptance and mindfulness-based approaches. Unlike the preceding therapies, which were developed in the 20th century, this next one was born out of age-old Buddhist and yoga practices. Mindfulness, or a process that tries to cultivate a non-judgmental, yet attentive mental state, is a therapy that focuses on one's awareness of bodily sensations, thoughts, and the outside environment. Whereas other therapies work to modify or eliminate these sensations and thoughts, mindfulness focuses on non-judgmentally accepting them. For example, where CBT may actively confront and work to change a maladaptive thought, mindfulness therapy works to acknowledge and accept the thought, understanding that the thought is spontaneous and not what the person truly believes. There are two important components of mindfulness. One, self-regulation of attention, and two, orientation toward the present moment. Mindfulness is thought to improve mental health because it draws attention away from the past and future stressors, encourages acceptance of troubling thoughts and feelings, and promotes physical relaxation. Techniques in Mindfulness-Based Therapy Psychologists have adapted the practice of mindfulness as a form of psychotherapy generally called mindfulness-based therapy, MBT. Several types of MBT have become popular in recent years, including mindfulness-based stress reduction and mindfulness-based cognitive therapy. MBSR uses meditation, yoga, and attention to physical experiences to reduce stress. The hope is that reducing a person's overall stress will allow that person to more objectively evaluate their thoughts. In MBCT, rather than reducing one's general stress to address a specific problem, attention is focused on one's thoughts and their associated emotions. For example, MBCT helps prevent relapses in depression by encouraging patients to evaluate their own thoughts objectively and without value judgment. Although cognitive behavioral therapy may seem similar to this, it focuses on pushing out the maladaptive thought, whereas mindfulness-based cognitive therapy focuses on not getting caught up in it. The treatments used in MBCT have been used to address a wide range of illnesses, including depression, anxiety, chronic pain, coronary artery disease, and fibromyalgia. Mindfulness and acceptance, in addition to being therapies in their own right, have also been used as tools in other cognitive behavioral therapies, particularly in dialectal behavior therapy, DBT. DBT 
often used in the treatment of borderline personality disorder, focuses on skills training. That is, it often employs mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy practices, but it also works to teach its patients skills they can use to correct maladaptive tendencies. For example, one skill DBT teaches patients is called distress tolerance or ways to cope with maladaptive thoughts and emotions in the moment. For example, people who feel an urge to cut themselves may be taught to snap their arm with a rubber band instead. The primary difference between DBT and CBT is that DBT employs techniques that addresses the symptoms of the problem, for example, cutting oneself, rather than the problem itself, for example, understanding the psychological motivation to cut oneself. CBT does not teach such skills training because of the concern that the skills, even though they may help in the short term, may be harmful in the long term by maintaining maladaptive thoughts and behaviors. DBT is founded on the perspective of a dialectical worldview. That is, rather than thinking of the world as black and white or only good and bad, it focuses on accepting that some things can have characteristics of both good and bad. So in a case involving maladaptive thoughts, instead of teaching that a thought is entirely bad, DBT tries to help patients be less judgmental of their thoughts, as was mindfulness-based therapy, and encourages change through therapeutic progress using cognitive behavioral techniques as well as mindfulness exercises. Another form of treatment that also uses mindfulness techniques is acceptance and commitment therapy. In this treatment, patients are taught to observe their thoughts from a detached perspective. ACT encourages patients not to attempt to change or avoid thoughts and emotions they observe in themselves, but to recognize which are beneficial and which are harmful. However, the differences among ACT, CBT, and other mindfulness-based treatments are a topic of controversy in the current literature. Advantages and Disadvantages of Mindfulness-Based Therapy Two key advantages of mindfulness-based therapies are their acceptability and accessibility to patients. Because yoga and meditation are already widely known in popular culture, consumers of mental health care are often interested in trying related psychological therapies. Currently, psychologists have not come to a consensus on the efficacy of MBT, though growing evidence supports its effectiveness for treating mood and anxiety disorders. For example, one review of MBT studies for anxiety and depression found that mindfulness-based interventions generally led to moderate symptom improvement. Emerging treatment strategies. With growth in research and technology, psychologists have been able to develop new treatment strategies in recent years. Often, these approaches focus on enhancing existing treatments such as cognitive behavioral therapies, through the use of technological advances. For example, internet and mobile-delivered therapies make psychological treatments more available through smartphones and online access. Clinician-supervised online CBT modules allow patients to access treatment from home on their own schedule, an opportunity particularly important for patients with less geographic or socioeconomic access to traditional treatments. 
Furthermore, smartphones help extend therapy to patients' daily lives, allowing for symptom tracking, homework reminders, and more frequent therapist contact. Another benefit of technology is cognitive bias modification. Here, patients are given exercises, often through the use of video games, aimed at changing their problematic thought process. For example, researchers might use a mobile app to train alcohol abusers to avoid stimuli related to alcohol. One version of this game flashes four pictures on the screen, three alcohol cues, for example, a can of beer in front of the bar, and one health-related image, for example, someone drinking water. The goal is for the patient to tap the healthy picture as fast as she can. Games like these aim to target patients' automatic subconscious thought that may be difficult to direct through conscious effort. That is, by repeatedly tapping the healthy image, the patient learns to ignore the alcohol cues, so when those cues are encountered in the environment, they will be less likely to trigger the urge to drink. Approaches like these are promising because of their accessibility. However, they require further research to establish their effectiveness. Yet another emerging treatment employs CBT-enhancing pharmaceutical agents. These are drugs used to improve the effects of therapeutic interventions. Based on research from animal experiments, researchers have found that certain drugs influence the biological processes known to be involved in learning. Thus, if people taking these drugs while going through psychotherapy, they are better able to learn the techniques for improvement. For example, the antibiotic indeclosiserine improves treatment for anxiety disorders by facilitating the learning process that occur during exposure therapy. Ongoing research in this exciting area may prove to be quite fruitful. Pharmacological treatments. Up until this point, all the therapies we've discussed have been talk-based or meditative practices. However, psychiatric medications are also frequently used to treat mental disorders, including schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, depression, and anxiety disorders. Psychiatric drugs are commonly used in part because they can be prescribed by general medical practitioners, whereas only trained psychologists are qualified to deliver effective psychotherapy. While drugs and CBT therapies tend to be almost equally effective, choosing the best intervention depends on the disorder and the individual being treated, as well as other factors such as treatment availability and comorbidity, i.e. having multiple mental or physical disorders at once. Although many new drugs have been introduced in recent decades, there is still much we do not understand about their mechanism in the brain. Further research is needed to refine our understanding of both pharmacological and behavioral treatments before we can make firm claims about their effectiveness. Integrative and Eclectic Psychotherapy In discussing therapeutic orientations, it is important to note that some clinicians incorporate techniques from multiple approaches, a practice known as integrative or eclectic psychotherapy. For example, a therapist may employ distress-tolerant skills from DBT to resolve short-term problems, cognitive reappraisal from CBT to address long-standing issues, and mindfulness-based meditation from MBCT to reduce overall stress. And, in fact, between 13 and 42% of therapists have identified their own approaches as integrative or eclectic. 
In conclusion, throughout human history, we have had to deal with mental illness in one form or another. Over time, several schools of thought have emerged for treating these problems. Although various therapies have been shown to work for specific individuals, cognitive behavioral therapy is currently the treatment most widely supported by empirical research. Still, practices like psychodynamic therapies, person-centered therapy, mindfulness-based treatments, and acceptance and commitment therapy have also shown success. And with recent advances in research and technology, clinicians are able to enhance these and other therapies to treat more patients more effectively than ever before. However, what is important in the end is that people actually seek out mental health specialists to help them with their problems. One of the biggest deterrents to doing so is that people don't understand what psychotherapy really entails. Through understanding how current practices work, not only can we better educate people about how to get help they need, but we can continue to advance our treatments to be more effective in the future. Oh, we've come a long way, baby, (laughs) right? Think about when we started talking about the history of treating mental illness and how people were like literally just locked up and somebody just waited for them to die. Yeah, this is much better. A more holistic approach. You know, they have different therapies for different situations. I like I like the meditation, I like the yoga, I like the positive vibes. I'm all about that. But of course, <clears throat> it's not for every psychopathic situation. So <laughs> well, if you like the show, share it with somebody you know. And hey, maybe hit that subscribe button. I'd love it if you'd write a comment or something and thought I'd just get some feedback from the community. You know, so we can all learn together and we can all as a family in this wonderful world of ours, because we are all connected, live a more inspired life.